Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Psalm 77, I'm going to ask us to stand if you're physically able. Don't if you're not, but uh, we have a passage of scripture. Let's just read this together. Uh, A wonderful psalm, and I trust that it it encourages you tonight. I want you to notice, and we sometimes read past this, um, to the chief musician, uh, Jaduthun, a psalm of who? Asaph, and we'll talk about him in a moment, but I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord, my sore ran in the night, and ceased not, my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. That's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Selah. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of the ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also on all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast... With thine arm redeem thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee. They were afraid, the depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water, the skies sent out a sound, thine arrows also went abroad, thy voice the voice of the, thy thunder was in the heavens, the, the lightnings lightened the world, the earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou lettest thy people like a flock, like a flock, by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather tonight. We pray that you'd calm our hearts before you, and that you would teach us wonderful truths and uh, insight out of thy law that you'd encourage every heart and those that are not here, Lord, I pray that you just minister to them, that you'd strengthen them. I 
pray especially for those that are not well, are sick, facing diseases. Lord, I pray that you would just uphold them by, their, by your right hand, and that you minister to them. I pray for our children, and I uh, pray that you would really just encourage their hearts through the word tonight. Our team's the same. Would you just across the, across the building, Lord, I ask that you take your word and that you administer to the hearts at every level and that we would grow together in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And let's be seated. Thank you for standing. I want to jump into this, this Bible study tonight, and we are in this series, Talk Less, Pray More, and really that, that is just to urge us to this matter of leaning on prayer. And so we'll pray tonight again, but uh, in our day-to-day life, uh, so often it's easy to just talk about it and talk to others about it, but not to actually pray about it. It's easy to hear a burden from somebody and not really pray about it. And so we want to just stop, and we want to get in the habit of simply praying. Here's this man, Asaph. Asaph was an interesting guy. In fact, if you uh, think about the front end of this psalm, it was Charles Spurgeon that uh, said Asaph was a man that exercised, of exercised mind, often touched with the minor key. Uh, he was thoughtful, contemplated, belie- uh, believing, and with all, there was a dash of sadness about him, and this imparted a tonic flavor to his songs. To follow him with understanding, it's needful uh, to have done business on the great waters and to have weathered many Atlantic gale. He, he, he's getting to the point, uh, to follow along with this guy, you really have had to go through the ups and downs of life. Uh, you have to know a little bit about him. He was a music man. He was a man that uh, led the choirs of David. Uh, he served alongside of David and, and was a man that, that gave his life to leading God's people in worship. A few years ago, back in 2020, I preached a message around Thanksgiving, uh, an unending Thanksgiving from his first psalm, Psalm chapter 50, where he looked out among the people of Israel and realized these people come and they sing through the songs, but it's just formalism. And his very first psalm that he deals with is dealing with the matter of formalism among God's people, just going through the motions. And he was a man that could see that because he was in front of them. And he challenged that in Israel. But here, he challenges really not to Israel, but really a a personal struggle that he has with God. So Asaph is a man that has devoted his life to the worship of God, to leading others in music. He was skilled in music like David, but they, they were, they were uh, workers together, ministers together in, in the work of the Lord. He was recognized, according to 2 Chronicles 29, he was recognized as a seer or a prophet. So he was a man that, that people would have uh, seen as a spiritual leader, one that took from God, received from God, and gave to God's people. And so he was a, he was a spiritual leader. He was someone that people looked up to, and certainly the Holy Spirit wants us to have his, uh, his songs uh, and his specifically his prayer and his turmoil between him and God. He wants us to have that here in 2022. And so we're going to break up this psalm based on the selahs. If you notice going through there, the selahs. Now, what does selah mean? Someone help me out. Let's remind ourselves, what does selah mean? As we went through there, we come to those points. What does that mean? Okay, it, it, pause, all right. Think about it, uh, suspend, uh, just, just, yeah, meditate, just pause on this. Uh, it is a musical term, right? It's a musical term. So it's a part of, a lot of times you see it in the Psalms. Uh, does anyone remember another book in the Bible, another prophet, where you find the word Selah in? I can't, I can't, all right, what's on my mind is Habakkuk. 
so the third chapter of Habakkuk in his song. Um, but you have, you have it mainly uh, when it's dealing with psalms and, uh, and music, uh, the Israel's music. And so selah, it's a musical term, and, and really we just need to pause on the thoughts that proceed and think about this. And so as we consider it tonight and break it down in that way, we have four different, four different divisions to this, this psalm based on the selahs, based on uh, Asaph and the Holy Spirit saying, hey, just pause and think on that. So I want us to realize Asaph is going through a difficult time, and that's pretty normal. <laughs> Everyone goes through a difficult time. You're either going uh, in a trial, coming out of a trial, or we'll be going into a trial here soon. Um, but we're all, we all go through turbulence in our life, and I want us to notice the turbulence that is without him. There's something that's distressing uh, Asaph in his life. He says, I cried unto the Lord, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. So he is praying, he's seeking the Lord. But notice verse number two, he says, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. In the day of my trouble. There was, a, there was a turbulence that had arisen in his life. Maybe it was ministry-related. Maybe it was family-related. Maybe it was financial. Maybe it was just his own personal struggles in his life that no one else saw. Uh, you can liken yourself to a, a trial that he might have been going through. We don't have to know the exact specifics of the trial to just know there was a day, there was a season of distress in Asaph's life that was really bogging him down. Verse 2, it just helps us understand it was a season of troubling distress. It was something that was on his heart. You don't need to raise your hand, but perhaps you're going through a season of troubling distress. It's distressing you. It's kind of hanging out in the back of your mind. It, you, you can't quite get rid of it. You can't just cross it off. It's just hanging out there. It's, it, when your mind is resting, it goes to that situation. And you understand the pressure that, that we go through as human beings. You understand the pressure of these seasons of distress, these seasons of trial. The Bible says here in verse number two that his distress literally did not stop in the night. It just stayed there. It just was there. He says, my sore, my sore ran through the night. The idea of, and some would say that he was making a physical allusion there, that, that he was just physically up and going through the night, that he was just um, at it. It was just a part of what happened in the night. He wasn't able to sleep. It didn't go away in the nighttime. Verse number two, there was no alleviation for his heart. There was nothing that just settled his soul and said, hey, it's all good. It's going to be okay. He wasn't at that point where he was thinking, it, I'm going to get through this. No, he was struggling even through the nighttime. I find this very interesting. In verse number three, the Bible helps us to see that I remember God and I was troubled. Even the remembrance of God and who he is and, and the very God that Asaph had sung to over and over and over again was not enough to bring calm to his heart. Now, have you been at a point where even reading through the Bible or praying did not seem like it was enough? And that's really what leads me to tonight and to this passage of Scripture. What do we do when praying and talking to God does not seem like enough? Because I think we've all been there, if we're honest. It sounds sacrilegious to say, well, you know, that's not the, the Christian thing to say. But friends, do you know God put it in here? The Holy Spirit allowed us to see those words on paper. I remember God, and I was troubled. That's pretty, that's pretty out there. Now, we don't typically come into church and say, I, I thought about God today, and I was just more troubled. 
We don't typically share that. But Asaph did. What do we do when God's not enough, or I should say, seems like he's not enough? We, we know theologically, we know truthfully, he's always enough. But sometimes our feelings aren't there. And he says it there in verse number three. I remember God and was troubled. What did he go on to say? He, he complained. All right, there we go. Uh, he complained, and he, it's written down in Scripture, he complained. The word complain here, along with the word commune a little bit later, has the idea to meditate on, all right? We typically complain about what we're musing and thinking and thinking and thinking about. And it gets pretty big in the mind. Well, he's saying, as I thought about God and it didn't bring comfort, I just complained about all my distresses and what happened when he complained? Did it get better? And sometimes we think, if I can just vent a little bit, it'll all get better. No. What does it say there, friends? Look at verse number three, the end. And my spirit was overwhelmed. Isn't that the truth? Complaining and meditating on my problems doesn't free me from my problems. It just gets bigger and darker and more ominous. And I call up my friend or post it on Facebook or text it in a text, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so here we have, in verse number one, because of what is in verse three, on two and three, he says, I cried unto the Lord. I want you to really notice that. I cried unto the Lord. When was the last time that you cried unto the Lord? Now, before we say, well, I, I prayed this morning, uh, I want us to realize this is, this is a strong appeal. In fact, some would say that the, the tense of this is the idea of to crash. The idea of, of just kind of a sudden explosion of prayer. Like, this is all stirred up in the heart overnight. He's struggling. He can't, he can't sleep. His, his, physically, he's just going and going and going. He remembers God. And that's not giving him any um, relief, and he's complaining, and his spirit's just um, bubbling over, boiling over with overwhelm. And it's like out of all that, he just explodes to God and says, I cried to God, which was really amazing what he says, and God heard me. I'm really thankful that God hears our explosive prayers. Can you imagine if God told you that, all right, um, no, go back and come back when you can, you can be settled down. Can you imagine how it would go? How many times would you actually get to pray if that were the case? God hears the explosive prayer of, of Asaph in this situation, uh, just crying out, exploding in verbal prayer. And it wasn't just prayer of the heart here. He says in, very specifically, I even unto God with my, verse 1, with my voice. There are times where the, the anxiousness and the, the struggle of spirit really does prompt us in the, in, in the privacy of our home, in the privacy of your car, shower, wherever, for us just to explode out, Lord, you've got to come through. Now, that's not all he said. He said a lot more to the Lord, and, we see, and we've already read that. But he exploded with verbal prayer, even unto his God with my voice. He's very specific about that. And I want us to realize God invites us to come. God invites us to cry to him. In fact, uh, Psalm 50 in verse number 15, the psalm that I've already referenced that he wrote, 
he finds that as he views Israel and the formalism that is there, and he's very troubled about it. He was a spiritual leader, and by the way, spiritual leaders will, will see things maybe others do not see and even be troubled by things that others do not see. And here he is as a spiritual leader watching this kind of this malaise fall over God's people. How great thou art, how great thou. You know, just kind of this, you know, no, no feeling. They're singing how great thou art, but it, it's not coming from the heart. You know what I mean? He's seen this malaise fall over God's people, and he's burdened about it. And you know what God says right after God says, hey, I don't want the sacrifices. I, I don't need their bulls. I don't need their provisions. I don't need any of that. I need unending thanksgiving. I want the sacrifice of their lips. I want the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I want it to bubble out, and I want them to praise me for who I am and who, all my goodness to them. And you know what? God says to Asaph right after that, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. And his invitation to Asaph and really to all of Israel is, in the day of your trouble, I want to be able to be there, and I want to deliver you, and I want to, I want to rescue you. I want to be there for you. And so God's invitation to us and Asaph, to all Israel, to anyone who will listen is, come, come. Come and pray. I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. You'll, you'll rejoice in the fact that I, I glorified you. Matthew Henry said, Those that are under trouble of mind must not think to drink it away or to laugh it away, but to pray it away. To pray it away. You know what? As we think about talking less and praying more, you're going through a struggle. It demands that we hit our knees more and more and more. There is no one who can solve that problem, take away that turbulence in your life, other than God himself. And by the way, as we've been learning, God is not just interested to get you out of the turbulence. He's interested to teach you a lesson and draw you, uh, draw you nearer. So what is God trying to teach you through what you're going through right now? And so we pray, and much of prayer is not so much changing God's mind, but changing, bending our mind to his. And so in prayer, we oftentimes figure out, oh, that's what God's trying to do. So he's in the midst of turbulence, and really it's without. It's, it, it, it is around him. Something has happened in his life. We don't know what at, at this point. Uh, something has happened in his life, and there's turbulence without. But I wanted us to know he goes a little bit further in verse number 4 through verse number 9, and he, he helps us to understand that this has really gotten into the depths of his heart. And so this turbulence without has become trouble within. He is disturbed. There is no peace, as we've already read a little bit. There's a restlessness. There's a searching. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. All right, do you ever feel like something's keeping you up at night? Like, I just can't sleep. Well, he's saying God's doing that. Thou holdest my eyes waking. By the way, we do remember there's other parts of Scripture that says that God gives his beloved sleep rest and we can go to him about that he says i'm so troubled i cannot speak and he goes all the way down you see a lot of eyes in here and then he turns the corner and he begins to say things about the lord notice this trouble within he's sleepless and i already said he blames god for that he's sleepless trouble many times trials many times will bring us to a point of sleeplessness 
wrestling in sleep. You know what it is to have your sleep taken from you because there's a burden on your heart? Not a good burden, a bad burden, a burden that distresses you. Sleep is a great comforter, but, for, uh, but it forsakes the sorrowful, and then their sorrow deepens and it eats into the soul, Charles Spurgeon said. It's a great thing when we can fall asleep and wake refreshed, but when we don't, boy, it, it just deepens the sorrow more and more. Others are sleeping, but you cannot. And you wake up without rest for your body and without rest for your spirit, and that's where Asaph was. Verse 4, he's speechless. He's speechless. Literally, the, the trouble he is facing is causing him not to have words. I just don't know what to say. I don't have words for this. Verse number five, look at it with me. I've considered the days of old, the, ancient, uh, the years of ancient times, even the memories of the past. And he's had a lot of good memories of the past. Remember, he has been a part of worshiping God and, and highlighting the beauties and the goodness and the, and the wonders of God. And even as he thinks back, the memories he has is darkened. In verse number six, his song, Asaph's song is is deadened, it's muted, it's silenced. There's not a song. Hey, Asaph, play your harp. No, not today. Reminds me of Psalm 126 when God's people were in captivity and their captors said to them, play one of the songs of Zion. They just hung them on the trees. Despondent, right? They're under the judgment of God. They're under the chasing of God. They're, they're not right in their spirit with God and the, they couldn't play a song. He is here. He is so troubled. He's communing in his heart. He's searching for the source, the solution of his distress, and, and all the while, his song is silenced. There's no song coming out of Asaph. This is not the time in the midst of this. This is not the time Asaph is writing, it, writing the song. Afterwards, he comes to this. By the way, isn't it a great thought that after the stress and the distress is when Asaph wrote the song. And there's a song that returns after the distress. But here he is. I don't have any of that. My song is gone right now. And even in verse number 7 through 9, if you notice, notice it, it was actually hard to read some of those verses. Will the Lord cast us off forever? Is his mercy clean gone? Has he forgotten to be gracious? Is he uh, uh, in anger shut up his tender mercies? And it goes on and on through there. It's almost painful to read when you're in a right, frame, a right spiritual frame of mind. That's like, ah, oh, they're kind of cringy. God put it in Scripture for us, but Asaph is doubting the presence and the favor of God. You ever get to a point where you doubt the favor of God? Is God good? Will God come through? Does God hear prayer? Does he care about me? Isn't it a blessing that God puts that in the scripture for us? Isn't it a blessing that inspired scripture shares the raw feelings of a man who followed after God and sang hymns just like we, uh, we do and worshiped God but came to moments in his life where he literally doubted the presence and the favor of God. Is God going to cast me off forever? Well, theologically, we know that it's not true. He'll never leave us or forsake us, right? But do you ever feel like, where's God? Where's God in my life? Where's God in America? You know what I'm saying? Like, where's, where's he at? What's he up to? And here he is. He's saying all this. And then another one of those selahs come. 
Pause and think on that. Now remember, he's writing this after the fact. He's writing this looking back on the situation, and he's writing this all down for us, and he wants us to stop. The Holy Spirit wants us to stop and think on the fact that we can get to the point where we question the goodness and the favor and the presence of God in our lives when we're going through a trial. It's not God's desire that we allow the turbulence that's without us. Can you think of some of the turbulence that's without us, things that are happening around you to become trouble within our hearts? To literally follow us to bed so that we cannot sleep. To literally make us speechless. To take our song away. The song bubbles up from the heart, doesn't it? And when, when there's trouble within, there's no song. I, can, uh, I have the, the opportunity to watch. And from time to time, I have approached people not in, a, not in a demeaning way, saying, hey, what's wrong? Because I've noticed in a song service they're not able to sing. Well, what's going on? Why? Because their song's gone. That doesn't mean they're a bad person. Certainly don't need to be kicked while they're down. What's going on? Can we pray? Their song's gone. And that's where Asaph was. God doesn't desire that the turbulence without, that what's going on in America. Are you alarmed this week at all? I am. Things are different. Things aren't how we grew up. There's uncertainty, and it's mounting. You alarmed by that? But then you have your own alarms in your own life. God doesn't desire that the turbulence outside becomes trouble within. Say, how so? Well, Jesus talked to us. John 14 and verse number 20. Seven, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth. The world's peace is when everything is okay. Right? When everything is running smoothly. When the economy's nice. When you're able to live freely. The world's peace is that. And may I just add, some conservatives... Their peace is that. Because not all conservatives are followers of Jesus Christ. And they think that the only peace is by having everything right in our society and having the right people in certain offices. Okay? That is not the peace that Jesus gave to us. Do we want that? Yes. The Bible tells us when the wicked rule, the righteous mourn. And there's a whole lot of mourning that's going on. But them being out of office or things being different in our country is not the peace that Jesus is talking about. If our peace is that, we've, we've replaced, we've taken Jesus out of his spot and we put someone else there. So we have to be very careful about that, not to get um, caught up in it. He says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Hold on. There's there's disturbance out here. There's turbulence out here. And God says, don't let your heart be troubled. I've given you a peace the world can't give you. So don't let the turbulence out there get inside your heart and create trouble and keep you up at night and keep you going at night. Allow God to calm your heart. Be still and know that I am God. He says, neither let it be afraid. Don't let your heart be afraid. John 16, verse 33. These things I've spoken unto you that in me, in me, 
in me ye might have peace, in the world ye shall have tribulation. Mark it down. That's what you're going to have. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus has already written the final chapter. And he let us in on it. He has overcome the world, and we don't have to fear. We don't have to be troubled. We know that it ends well. And even for us, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I got to thinking today. Weird thoughts come when you start thinking about the, the encroachment of, of, of enforcement agencies. You know, you got to thinking today. There's going to be a day in America where there's Christians in jail. And we'll either be at peace with that or we go kicking and screaming. But I got thinking today, if God puts us in a jail cell and if God put me in a jail cell, why? What is, what's God's plan in that? Who's in there that needs to come to Christ? You know what I'm saying? And it's easy to say that on this side of it, but just understand, we're, we're, in, we're in a very interesting shift here. And can we be at peace inside of a jail cell like we're at peace when, you know, outside and we have our freedoms and all that? Jesus says, I've given you peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have turbulence. But don't let it come inside. Don't let it come inside. I think of that man, and I'm not prepared to share the, the poem, but he, uh, he speaks of never giving up. He was a man that was in prison, a preacher that was in prison in Africa, and writes that poem. I'm not, I'm not going to give up, let up, shut up until, until I see, uh, see my king, and I've shared it before in here, and I just think about the peace that God gave him even in the midst of his persecution. So turbulence around Asaph had become trouble within his heart, but there's a moment after this Selah, look at verse number 10, there's a moment. And I said, this is my infirmity. Let's say that out loud. This is my infirmity. It's interesting, at this point, it's almost like he stops and he says, okay, this is my distress. This is what God has allotted to me. This is what God has allowed. And there's a total shift after this, after this statement there is a total shift in Asaph's spirit. There's a total moving from turbulence and trouble in his heart to beginning to praise the Lord. And I want us to realize there is triumph in surrender. There is triumph in surrender. What do I mean by that? There's triumph when I stop trying to figure it all out and trying to, um, to question God for why he's allowing me to go through the struggle and why he's allowing me to have the distress in my life, why the turbulence is there, and just say, okay, this is my infirmity. This is my distress. This is what God has allotted for me. This is what God's allowing into my life. I surrender to the hand of God. The infirmity is the idea of being wounded. It's physical, emotional injury. Uh, it, it, is, it, it can be from battle. The idea is, hey, God has allowed this into my life. This is an allowed trial. We know in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, who will not suffer you to be attempted above that you're able Asaph came to a point where he just surrendered. This is my infirmity. This is what God's allowed. And I can think of many times in my own life where I've, and it is a point of surrender, where you literally have to humble, I've had to humble my heart before God and say, okay, I'm sorry for, you know, 
trying to figure a way out of this. God, I accept it. Help me to learn through it. Total shift. Total shift that happens in the heart. Almost an immediate relief of heart that comes in those moments when we perceive, C.H. Spurgeon said, that our affliction is meted out by the Lord and is the ordained portion of our cup. We become reconciled to it and no longer rebel against the inevitable. Why should we not be content if it be the Lord's will? Why should we not be content if it's the Lord's will? If I can surrender what he's allowing me to go through, then it's going to be okay. God has a purpose in this. He will bring me through this. It reminds me of day by day, the hymn, Help Me Then, verse number three, in every tribulation, so to trust thy promises, O Lord, that I lose not faith's sweet consolation. Mmm, rest. Offered me within thy holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take as from the Father's hand, one by one, the days, the moments fleeting till I reach the promised land. Lord, just help me to take it. Help me to receive it. I surrender to it. I surrender. And what our problem is, so often we struggle against it. We push back on God. We say there's no use for us. Why are you allowing me to go through this? We question his goodness. We question his, uh, his presence in our life. And there came a point in Asaph's life where he says, this is my infirmity this is something i'm going to accept is from god jesus told his disciples they were going to go to the other side of the sea of galilee guys get in the boat let's go we're going to go to the other side i have been told that the sea of galilee uh, is a place where storms can rise up very very quickly and isn't that like it is in our lives things come very suddenly a phone call a text a news a news briefing whatever the case may be just around the house, it can come very, very quickly. Storms rise. So they're on the Sea of Galilee. They're with Jesus. They're going to the other side. That's what he said, right? And he's asleep. And they're going to the other side, and the storm pops up. And they begin to row, and they're rowing in vain. There's no way, there's no way to, to get, through the, uh, get through the waters on their own. And with the with the, the oars, they're, they're struggling so much so they believe they're going to perish. They wake up the master, master, we perish. And I'm sure they said it like Asaph prayed this prayer. Kind of like explosive reminder to the master, we're going to perish. This is going to be the end of the road for us. We're going to sink to the bottom of the, on the Sea of Galilee and we're going we're gonna to take up our grave with a fish. I mean, we're, we're done here. And so he's, they say, Master, we perish. And Jesus says to them after he calms the, the sea, right? Do you remember what he says to them? Where is your faith? You think, well, that's, that seems kind of straightforward. Why not put the arms around and say, it's okay? No, he said, where's your faith? Why? Because he'd already told them we're going to the other side. And the reason that we fear and the reason that we have turbulence is in our heart because we don't believe the word of God. We don't believe that he's always with us. We don't believe that his, his loving kindness is enduring, that his love is loyal. We don't believe that he works all things together for good to them that love him. And so we get turbulence and trouble in the heart because we don't take him at his word. Where is your faith? And it's almost like 
Asaph had to step back. This is my infirmity. I surrender this to God. God brought him to the other side like he had said, but it's interesting how often you and I will rebel against the storm and not rest in the Savior. We rebel and we rebel and we push back, and God's saying, I want to teach you a lesson here, but you're going to have to surrender. You're going to have to say, this is my infirmity. I accept it, and Lord, teach me what you want. So it was only after Asaph surrendered to the, to the problem and to the distress, to the season, to the turbulence around, that God became a wonderful song to him. In verses 10 through 15, 10b, look at the end of verse number 10. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the, thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. I'm not just going to meditate on it. I'm going to actually talk to others about it. I'm going to broadcast how good that you are. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary, who is so great a God as our God. Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared uh, thy strength among the people. Thou hast uh, with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. Now think about that. That's a marked difference from the last Selah. Is God going to give up on me? Is he left me? Is he going to cast me off forever? Is he stop being gracious? Stop being favorable to Look at our God, who's as big and as good as, and, and as wonderful as our God. It's almost like Asaph is uh, going into this part after he, he surrenders to all that God was doing in his life. It's almost like he just says, oh yeah, this is, this is my God. This is who he is. I, I lost sight of this for a little bit, but this is who he is. How did he get there? Surrender. And I, I believe the Lord's touched on this some multiple times over the last several weeks for our church this matter of not just trying to get through the trials, but saying, God, what are you trying to teach me in the trial? And by the way, I believe that's starting to shape the way that we pray for one another. Because it's not God's will every time that just to get someone fast and through the trial. Lord, can you expedite this trial? Can you overnight this one? No, it's not. That's not always the will of the Lord. And when we pray that way, we're praying outside of the will of the Lord. Now, we have to get the mind of the, uh, of the Savior. Is it healing? Is it to get through this trial? But many times, the Lord is bringing through us through a trial to help us learn a lesson in there that we could not learn anywhere else. Wouldn't you agree that trials are, indeed, wonderful places to learn things? And, for the, I mean, they, they stick in the mind. So here, Asaph surrenders to what God was doing in his life, this is my infirmity. I accept it. I'm accepting what the Lord's allowing in my life. And it was then that he gave this triumphant praise. It was then that he could just burst forth like he had exploded before in prayer and agony to the Lord. Now he's exploding in song. He's exploding and, and rejoicing before the Lord. It's pretty amazing. So the turbulence that became trouble within now is turning into a wonderful triumphant song as he surrenders. Yes, Lord, I, I'm okay with what you're allowing me to go through. It's not comfortable. I don't like it. No one likes trials. God doesn't tell us we have to like the trial. But he does say in everything, give thanks. But you know what? In verse number five, look back there with me. I consider the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance, and he gets down to, to say, hey, uh, this, th even this isn't helping my heart. I'm, I'm complaining. I'm meditating on this. This isn't even bringing comfort to me. You realize in, in verse number five, he's saying, 
the events that God did in the past, those don't really encourage me. I remember them, but they don't really encourage me. I'm not really blessed by them. But now, going forward in verses 16 through 20, he finishes his song with remembering the greatness of God. And I want you to notice how he tributes God's greatness here. He revels in God's greatness. Oh yeah, that's my God. That's my God. That's the God that I serve. That's the God that's bringing me through. The waters saw thee, O God, and the waters saw thee. They were afraid. Now, he, uh, he brings up some illustrations from the waters, but uh, you think about a storm. You think about waves that are higher than your, your vessel. It can be kind of scary. I'm not a swimmer. I can swim a little bit, but I'm not a swimmer. So it wouldn't take long for me to be in a storm and get afraid. You think about the helplessness of being out in the great waters, the power of the great waters. Recently seen some pictures of Niagara Falls, and you think about the power of that. How many of you have seen Niagara Falls? You think about the power there? And you say, listen, the waters, the great waters are afraid of you. They fear you. They reverence you. And Jesus proved that on the Sea of Galilee. The depths are troubled. The clouds pour out their water. When you talk, it rains. When you say they're to stay dry, they're not to rain, it doesn't rain. Ahab figured that out. The skies sent out a sound. When uh, you want it to thunder, it thunders. When you want it to lightning, it lightnings and it lightens the whole earth. Isn't it amazing when it lightnings and it's just, I mean, for a, a, just a split second, it is like daylight. Isn't that amazing? I saw recently, maybe you did too, um, uh, the Ark Encounter posted a beautiful picture. They had the Ark uh, lit up in red, white, and blue, and it was a night sky, and one of their staff members had gotten a picture of a lightning bolt that had come down. They'd gotten from a distance, so on, you know, on one side you had this lightning bolt uh, didn't strike the Ark, um, but then you also had the cross, the lit cross over the door, uh, of entry. Beautiful, beautiful picture, but just a wonderful picture of the lightning and, and so on, and it's spidering out. Beautiful, and, and all that comes from God, and Asaph's just poetically remembering, this is my God, my God that speaks, and, and it lightnings, and it lightens the whole earth in a split second. That's my God. That's my God, and he's just reveling in God's greatness. He's giving tribute. He's, he's praising him for it. He talks about the, the path through the sea. Uh, that, that blows my mind that there's paths through the sea. And, and uh, I, I recently had watched something about where the, the Atlantic and the Pacific meet, meet together and how they, there's a divide because of the different saltiness of the, of the water. And you think God came up with that. And there's paths, there's, there's channels through the sea. God came up with all that talks about his footsteps and how that his footsteps are not known. What's he saying? Hey, God's ways are higher. That's amazing. God's ways are higher. And so he says, God has power over the nature and over storms, verse 16 through 18, uh, just like Jesus did. God has great ways. His ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah 55, verse number 9, for the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Talk about the greatness of God. His ways are far beyond us. And you don't typically see that in the distress. You see that after the distress. Oh yeah, that's what God was doing. Heaven's going to be full 
like eternal, oh yeah, that's what God was doing. You know? And just looking back and like, that puzzled me so much when I was on earth, but that's what God was doing. But it ends in verse number 20, and would you look at that? It almost seems a little out of context with the rest of the things that he's saying about God. God has power over nature and over storms, over water, great waters. He has ways that we don't understand, that ways are far beyond us. We don't even see them. We can't know them. They're far beyond us. In verse number 20, Thou us thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. It's like we zoom in and see that this big, mighty, great God cared about his people that he was leading out of Israel through the Red Sea in the wilderness, across the Jordan, into the promised land. And he did this by the hand of two humans, imperfect humans like Moses and Aaron. And you talk about the greatness of God, a God that can be so great to send lightning and thunder, stuff that man cannot produce, but then to pay attention to his people that he likens to a flock. You talk about a great God. You talk about a great God. Extremes. And God operates perfectly in both extremes. And so Asaph ends there. Basically, this great, great God that I am just overjoyed to talk about cares about people like me. He cares about humans, for he is our God, and we are the sheep of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, the Bible says, harden not your heart. Don't harden your heart against him. Lord, what is man that thou art mindful of him and that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Why me? He says, God just leads them. Graciously, tenderly, lovingly, God led them. Even when they were against him, God led them. And so we have this turbulence. We experience it. God didn't tell us what Asaph's was. But we experience turbulence. We experience it when it becomes trouble within our hearts. No sleep, speechless. We experience when we say yes to God. God, it's yours. We can also experience turning around and praising the very God that we wondered about a little bit ago or a few weeks ago. So before we pray tonight, I'd like you to do this little exercise. Now, you might not be in a trial, um, and that's, that's fine, and we praise the Lord for that. The Bible says, weep with them that weep and rejoice with them that do rejoice, right? But where are you on this, this scale? On the back of your, uh, your notes I put there, just for your own sake, are you in a trial? Are you at the point where you're, the trouble's without and it's staying out there? Uh, you've, you've allowed the Lord to calm your heart and it's, you see everything that's going on around you and it's trouble without. There's turbulence without. You recognize it's there. Maybe you're at the point where you've allowed that to become trouble within. Your song is gone. You have started to wonder at the goodness and the favor of God. Your song's gone. You can't rejoice. You can't tribute God because it's become trouble within. Maybe you're at the point 
that you need to, try, uh, to just find the triumph of surrender and say, hey, Lord, this is yours. And I'm going to accept the, the allotment of this trial. I'm going to accept the trial that you've allowed into my life. Maybe you're at the point, you know what, honestly, I'm just rejoicing in the Lord. Yes, there's trials in my heart, but I've, I've, I've been through that. I've acknowledged that to the Lord. I've acknowledged he's allowing this in my life, but I'm just praising him. I'm praising him. Wherever you are on that scale, I encourage you to take a step towards, we want to be at praising the Lord. We want to be at be still and know that I am God. We want to be at rejoicing. We want to be at looking at the fact that God so lovingly leads us along as his flock. That's where we want to be. And so whatever you, step you need to take to be there, that's, that's my encouragement. And it may be um, praying it out with God. It may be talking to someone here tonight, and we'll give a chance for that here in just a moment. But I need to say one more thing, and we're going to divide up for prayer, and that's the way we're going to uh, finish this evening. These psalms are not written like a movie. So sometimes you have a, you have a problem, and, uh, and you, you go through a, a movie, and, and it's all solved by the end of an hour. Right? Wow, that was pretty amazing. This wasn't written like that. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how long that, date, um, that Asaph was in that distress, but it could have been three months. It could have been three years. It could have been much more than that. We don't know, but the fact is, when we look at this, we should not get in our minds, well, I read Psalm 77, my troubles aren't over. There may be a fair amount of processing that you have to go through along this way. And we as a church family need to be okay to, to shoulder one another through that and pray for one another, wouldn't you agree, right? We need to shoulder one another through that. But it doesn't always just happen in, it takes two minutes and 16 seconds for my Bible app to read this, this chapter to me, right? It doesn't take two minutes and 16 seconds to get through the trial. It may be much longer than that. And we need to have that perspective. God's working, but Asaph, the Holy Spirit put it in Scripture, Asaph got to the other side. Asaph got to the point of attributing God's greatness. And we can too. We just need to take the next step along the way. All right, let's pray, and then we're going to divide up. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be encouraged from your word, and I pray that it is just that, just an encouragement. And as we divide up and share one another's burdens and pray for one another and others in our church, I pray that you would just meet with us in these last minutes uh, that we just talk to you before we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to split up guys with guys, ladies with ladies, groups of two or three. And I'd like for you, maybe you're not in a trial, that's great, pray for somebody else, but share within that group, uh, where are you? On, on the scale. If you're willing to share that, where are you on the scale? And pray for one another. Let's shoulder one another's, let's shoulder one another's burdens. And maybe you say, uh, hey, to your friend, uh, I am honestly at the point I really need to surrender. And here's how we, ought to, how we ought to pray for each other. I pray that my brother, Steve, would be able to come to the place where he surrenders and receives this trial that God is allowing him to go through as from the Lord. And we pray for one another. Isn't that good? All right, let's, let's do that. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.